Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Well, without further ado, let's start off with the show. Monday Night Raw, it will open up with the Usos with Solo Sokoa making their way down to the ring. The Usos will be out here to peacock about their win at Crown Jewel. The Usos will talk about their upcoming match with the New Day on SmackDown to determine who's going to be the longest reigning tag team champions in WWE history. And this will lead to the New Day coming out, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods to interrupt the Usos. The Usos and the New Day will then start talking back and forth about knowing the pressure to be the best tag team in the WWE. At this point, you will have the Usos and the New Day start throwing shots at each other. The New Day talking about the Usos don't know pressure because they were giving tryouts because of their family lineage about who who in the company knew who the Usos were because of their family. While the New Day, they're all first-generation superstars, first-generation wrestlers, so it didn't come easy for them. The Usos will push back and say, you don't know what it's like to be us, to be in the spot that we're in, the type of pressure that we're in. This is the type of pressure that nobody can ever deal with except for people like us because we excel at this pressure so both teams will go back and forth about trying to become the very best matt riddle will come out to interrupt all of this and he comes out with bongos riddle will ask both teams who wants to hit the bong again make a reference to riddle kind of being a stoner um the new day would hit the bongos jimmy would hit the bongo but jay wouldn't as a matter of fact he would slap riddle's bongos Riddle would then challenge the Usos and Solo Sokoa to a six-man tag match of Riddle and the New Day going against Solo and the Usos, and we will have that match right now. So the six-man tag match happens, and it was a straight-up long six-man tag match, and it kept the fans engaged. I'll give it about a good 20 minutes. But in the end, Solo would get the win for his team by pinfall when Solo would tag in himself and drop to the floor, letting Jimmy get hit with an RKO for Matt Riddle. And Solo will slide into the ring and hit Riddle with a spinning Solo for the win. These two segments right here was to build up the New Day and Usos for SmackDown. And I was thoroughly impressed. I was thoroughly engaged. And hopefully on SmackDown, we will see what happens. Who's going to be the longest reigning tag team champions. Now, after this, we will get Baron Corbin going against Cedric Alexander with JBL on commentary. Baron Corbin would win the match by pinfall by catching Cedric in mid-springboard move and hitting him with the end of days for the win. After this, Seth Rollins would come out, and we were supposed to get a U.S. Championship Open Challenge, and Judgment Day would come out. Finn Balor would step up and tell Seth that he has a bone to pick with him. Finn would tell Seth that he cost him gold, and Finn's making reference to when Seth injured him in 2016 SummerSlam in the first ever Universal Championship matchup, and Finn won that, and the next night he had to relinquish it because he popped a shoulder out of his socket because of that match, thanks to Seth. So Finn is out here to challenge Seth for the United States Championship for some type of redemption. But before he actually could officially challenge Seth, the club will come out. And now you have AJ, Gallows, Anderson, in the middle of the ring with the rest of Judgment Day, and you have both teams having to stare down with each other, and Seth's literally in the middle of both teams, and he will start sneakily moving out of the ring and start walking up the ramp. AJ will get a mic, and he will say that Judgment Day, this whole thing between both groups is not over, and he mentions that it's always been the three of them going against the four of Judgment Day. AJ will make it known that they haven't found someone to 
handle their Rhea Ripley problem. But he does make mention that someone did come up to them and said they will handle it. And you will see Rhea on the outside of the ring. And we don't know who is around, but we hear some type of commotion happening. And we see Rhea on the ground. And there's a mystery woman standing behind Rhea in a hood. She would take the hood off and it is the returning Mia Yim. Mia Yim was last in Impact Wrestling in her last match, I believe, was against Mickey James a couple weeks ago. So now she's back with WWE here and she's aligned herself with the club. So a brawl will happen between both groups, the Judgment Day and the club. And this time the club would stand on top with AJ hitting Dominic Mysterio with the Styles Clash and then Finn pulling Dominic out of the ring and Finn and Dominic will be walking up the ramp with the club in the middle of the ring with me and him just standing in their dominance. Now, we would go backstage and Seth will be walking backstage. An interviewer will walk up to Seth and Seth will let it be known that he did make a promise and he's going to intend to keep that promise. So we will get a United States Open Challenge later in the night in the main event. Now, after this, we would get Otis with Chad Gable in his corner going against Elias. Otis would win the match by pinfall by hitting the World's Strongest Slam on Elias for the win. After this, we have Bianca Belair, who is still the Raw Women's Champion, coming out with Asuka and Alexa. Those two women are no longer the WWE Tag Team Champions. They lost those at Crown Jewel to EO Sky and Dakota Kai. Now, Bianca would talk about how Crown Jewel didn't end the way that they wanted, as I just said, but she did mention how she regained her championship. Damage Control would come out, and Dakota would say that nobody wants to hear about Oscar and Alexa whining and complaining. Then you would get an interesting like back and forth between Asuka and Io. At first, they would talk smack towards each other, at least a little bit of English, before they start fully speaking Japanese. And I mean just talking smack towards each other, with Asuka dominating majority of it. And they would get translated on the internet. And majority of it was basically Asuka calling Io stupid, stupid, stupid. And Io would, in return, call Asuka a female dog. So then Asuka would backhand Io, and now you have both groups doing battle. Asuka, Alexa, and Bianca Belair would stand tall with damage control outside of the ring. Bianca would say that this is no longer just funds and game. This is no longer just gang on gang mentality. No, this is now war, and this will all end at war games. So we now have our first match set up for Survivor Series War Games, where it will be damage control going against a team of Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa. Now, with that challenge being thrown out there, Nikki Cross would slide in the ring and attack Bianca from behind. Now you see Damage Control get back in the ring and help Nikki Cross beating up on Bianca and the rest of her company. Bailey would get a mic and accept the challenge. So again, it's Damage Control now with Nikki Cross going against Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa. Now, Bianca has to find two more members to join her to go against Damage Control and Nikki Cross. And Damage Control only has to find one more member because it'll be on five on five war games match at survivor series now after this we have austin theory going against shelton benjamin theory would win the match by pinfall by raking the eyes of shelton benjamin then hitting the a-town down for the win after this we have johnny gargano going against the miz but before johnny gargano will come out the miz will get a mic and say that last week's johnny gargano interview everything that johnny said in that interview was not true miz would say he for a week now, has had to defend himself, not just to his friends, but also to his family, because everybody believes what Johnny has said. Miz says that he has lawyers that are going to file a defamation lawsuit against Johnny Gargano. This will lead to Johnny coming out, and Johnny says that he has concrete evidence that Miz did plan his own kidnapping and hasn't paid Dexter Loomis. Johnny would play a video of Miz talking to a lady that 
Johnny paid to be a big time movie producer so the Miz can talk to her and just basically confess his sins. Johnny will play the video on the screen. Miz would confess. And now you see Miz in the middle of the ring, just straight up, just with a look of, he can't believe this is happening. He's in a look of shock. And we would get to our match between Johnny Gargano and the Miz. In the end, the Miz would get the win by pinfall. Miz would throw Johnny Gargano into the ring because they were fighting outside. Miz would then drop to the ground, and it looks that Miz gets dragged underneath the ring. So it looks like Dexter Loomis is underneath the ring and dragging the Miz underneath. When Miz gets back from underneath the ring, Miz is holding a turnbuckle wrench, and Miz would tell the referee that Dexter's underneath the ring. The referee would then leave the ring to go underneath the ring to start looking to see if, if Dexter's there. This would lead to Johnny coming and grabbing Miz by the hair. Miz would then hit Johnny in the head with the wrench, throw the wrench down, and then get in the ring and pin Johnny. Now, after the match, Miz would be standing at the entrance ramp, looking at the camera, talking about how much smarter he is than Johnny Gargano. And unbeknownst to the Miz, Dexter Loomis would walk down the ramp with a steel chair, hit Miz in the back with the chair, and he would just look at the Miz before Dexter has to get chased away by security so again this whole Dexter Loomis Johnny Gargano the Miz situation is no longer finished we're still going on with this but everybody has truly saw that the Miz did actually make up the whole kidnapping thing he hasn't paid Dexter Loomis the half of the money so that's the reason why we now know Dexter Loomis is going after the Miz now after this we would get a 24-7 championship match between Dana Brooke and Nikki Cross, with Damage Control being at ringside for this match. Damage Control do not get involved at all in this match. Nikki would win the championship by pinfall by hitting a swinging neckbreaker on Dana for the win. And now Nikki Cross is your 24-7 champion, only for a short time, because you will see Damage Control and Nikki Cross walk to the backstage, and as they're walking, Nikki is just looking up in the sky. She's just still trying to do whatever Nikki's doing because Nikki's unstable. She would walk past a trash can and she would just throw the 24-7 championship into the trash can, but miss, but she doesn't try to pick it up. She just lets the championship just hit the ground and continue to walk away. So it seems that the 24-7 championship is now done. They have like literally just killed the 24-7 championship. And I'm cool with that because the 24-7 championship, it was a cool thing when it first came about, what, in 2019? It was a cool thing to be around. It was a cool thing because we thought, okay, this is another version of the hardcore championship that gets defended 24-7. We get cool segments and all that type of stuff. But it fell flat on its face when the pandemic happened. So after the whole pandemic situation, since 2020, the 24-7 championship hasn't been that great. The only shining light that actually has happened for that belt is whenever R-Truth was holding it and R-Truth would just constantly like make funny segments with the championship. Other than that, I don't think WWE is going to miss that 24-7 championship at all. So it was good for what it was, but now that it's passed, I think good riddance. Now, off to the main event, we have our U.S. Championship Open Challenge. Seth Rollins is in the middle of the ring. He's waiting for his challenger. Mustafa Ali was going to answer the challenge because you see Mustafa Ali on the screen. He talks about how he's going to come down there and answer the challenge. Then you see Mustafa get dragged away and he gets beat up by Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley will say that he's going to go down there, face Seth, and take back his WWE United States Championship. Mustafa Ali will try to get back at Bobby by beating him up, but Bobby's too much of a brick of a man. And he would throw Mustafa Ali into some crates, and he just makes his way down to the ring. So, we were supposed to get 
again, I use that word supposed to get Bobby versus Seth, but Bobby Lashley would attack Seth Rollins in the ring and then start brutalizing Seth outside of the ring to the point that he actually one hand spine buster Seth through the commentary table the same way that he did Brock Lesnar a couple weeks ago, making multiple referees and officials come out to check on Seth. Bobby would then just start walking up the ramp. He's already done the damage and he just leaves. Now, as Bobby is walking up the ramp, you see Austin Theory come out and he's holding the Money in the Bank briefcase. Now, for people that don't know, the Money in the Bank briefcase allows you up to one contract year to challenge for any championship you want. And is usually for the World Heavyweight or WWE Championship, whatever you want to call it, for the main championship. No, not this time. Austin Theory would see that Seth Rollins is down, he is beatable, and he decides to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase on Seth Rollins. Now, now we would get the United States Championship match that we were promised of Seth Rollins and Austin Theory, and in the end, Seth Rollins would win thanks to Bobby Lashley. When Austin Theory would hit the A-Town down on Seth and go for the cover, and he's at a two-count, and the referee's about to hit the three, Bobby Lashley will pull the referee out of the ring. Theory will look at Bobby and start shouting at Bobby. Bobby, in return, would pull Theory out of the ring, start beating him up, lock him into the hurt lock, and let go and start walking towards the back again. The referee would get up, get in the ring, and start counting Theory out. And Theory would respond at the count of nine and slide back into the ring. But as soon as he does so, Seth would catch him with a curb stomp, and that's how Seth retains his United States Championship. I did not like that ending. I was completely flabbergasted. I was disgusted by that decision because the Money in the Bank briefcase, ladies and gentlemen, that is literally, besides winning the Royal Rumble, the biggest prize in WWE besides the championship. I'm just going to be honest with you. The Money in the Bank briefcase, it literally gives you one whole year to decide when you want to cash in on a champion. Do you want to declare when you want to have a match with them? Or do you want to attack them and then cash it in at the most opportune time? A la Edge, a la Damian Sandow, a la a lot of like former Money in the Bank holders did. And this was just straight up stupid. I don't get it. I don't know what WWE was trying to do here. Now, I tweeted that out and I did get some response from people. I had some little uh, conversation with people short conversations and one person said well it's because triple h has the book now and he wanted to get it off a of theory i thought to myself and i said why don't triple h or whoever's writing creative for this why don't they just have theory inside type of uh storyline with somebody to want to take that money in the bank briefcase off of him so that can elevate theory and put him in a rivalry and also make that money in the bank briefcase more prestige and if they wanted to get the briefcase off of him, they could have done that and just had him lose to somebody else that they thought, okay, we got her off the young kid and we could put it on somebody else. Because we've seen some people lose the Money in the Bank briefcase to other individuals. The most prominent one is literally Mr. Kennedy towards Edge back in, I believe, 2007. And that one is the most prevalent one because... That changed Mr. Kennedy's whole career, like, trajectory in WWE. If he didn't lose that Money in the Bank briefcase to Edge, he would have been World Heavyweight Champion. But WWE had to take it off of him. So, for me, I just wish they would have took the briefcase off of Theory. And if they didn't want to take the briefcase off of Theory, just have the kid 
hold the briefcase for a little bit longer. It's not like Roman's going to hold on to that championship for four years. He's going to lose that championship to somebody, and he could have cashed it in at the most greatest time when the bloodline's not around. They could beat up uh, prone Roman Reigns is so beat down, and you could just have Theory run up and beat him up more with the briefcase and have him become the most dastardly villain of all time in WWE, especially at a young age. And you see the trajectory that people want for Theory. It just doesn't make sense that he cashed in for the United States Championship. It doesn't make sense at all. This whole thing was a travesty to me. I didn't like the ending, but again, I don't write creative for WWE, so I'm just a fan, and I'm just giving my personal opinion on that. That whole thing was stupid. I just wish that hopefully next year, whenever they have the money in the bank briefcase again, they actually give it to somebody and they have some ideas of where they want to go with it. But now, with that being said, that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to NXT. Now, before I get into the matches that will happen at NXT, I will make a quick note. Next week on NXT, there will be a contract signing between Carmelo Hayes and Wesley for the North American Championship match that will be taking place in two weeks' time. So, just want to get that out of the way. Now, when NXT would first open up, we will have a one-on-one matchup between Joe Gacy, who has the schism around the ring, going against Cameron Grimes. Joe Gacy would win the match by pinfall, thanks to the schism's involvement when Cameron Grimes was on the top turnbuckle, and the referee would be distracted by the grizzled young veterans getting on the ring apron. Ava Rain would get on the ring apron and push Cameron Grimes off the turnbuckle, and Grimes would hit the top rope letting Joe Gacy hit him with the upside-down world, which he's calling his handspring uh, clothesline for the win. So it seems that Joe Gacy and Cameron Grimes, hopefully this little feud that they're having will be now erased and be done, and Cameron Grimes can do something, and Joe Gacy can do something, because the schism is a thing that I think the NXT is going to put a lot much more uh, emphasis on, especially, again, with The Rock's daughter in it now, and that's got a lot of people's interest to see what she's going to be doing. I think they're going to put the schism in something else now and probably, hopefully, have this Cameron Grimes schism thing go away. Now, after this, we will have Sol Ruka going against Electra Lopez. Electra would win the match by pinfall by hitting a Baldo Bomb, which is a double-handed sit-out chokeslam for the win. I gotta say, Sol Ruka, she improved from the last time we saw her that's which was like two weeks ago when she went against indy hartwell she improved a lot in that short two weeks time i mean she probably was on nxt level up that's their like other show that they have which i do not watch because i consume so much wrestling but just seeing her match with Alexa here and comparing it to her match with Indy, she was actually able to be more athletic in this match with Alexa than she was with Indy. So Sol Ruka is improving. Now, after the match, Indy Hartwell would attack Electra Lopez from behind again for payback when Electra Lopez came back to NXT and attacked Indy from behind two weeks ago. So this is just basically her receipt to Electra Lopez. Now, after this, there will be a video of JC Jane FaceTiming Mandy Rose inside of a vehicle. And Mandy's inside of her home. JC would tell Mandy that she is afraid to go to the NXT arena because of Alba Fire's warning last week. And just to give you guys a quick cliff note version, Alba Fire took out Gigi Dolan last week on Mandy Rose's one-year NXT Women's Championship celebration. And she warned Mandy that week by week, she's going to take out each member of Toxic Attraction until she gets to Mandy Rose for the NXT Championship. So last week was Gigi. So Alba is going after JC this week, and that's what JC fears. Mandy tells JC that is to come over to her house instead of the NXT arena to chill, 
JC says she's on her way, but JC will get stopped by a vehicle, and it turns out to be Alba's vehicle. Alba would take JC out of a vehicle and beat her up. We don't see this because, again, this is a FaceTime situation. Mandy would see JC get pulled out of the vehicle and question what's going on. Then Mandy would see Alba walk into the frame and tell Mandy that next week she is next in their last woman standing match for the NXT Women's Championship. So that gives you something to look forward to next week. Mandy Rose going against Alba Fire for the NXT Women's Championship and a last woman standing match. Now, after this, we get another matchup of the night. Andre Chase with Thea Hale and Duke Hudson going against Charlie Dempsey. Charlie Dempsey would win the match because Duke Hudson would throw in the towel for Andre Chase when Charlie Dempsey had Andre Chase in a submission and Andre couldn't get out of it. And at first, Duke was going to try to push the ropes towards Andre Chase so he can grab it. But Andre Chase is all about being a fair competitor and wanting to win fair. So he started yelling at Duke, don't he do it? So as Charlie is still applying that sub, uh, submission more onto Andre Chase, you can see Duke just being conflicted. Thea Hale is just waving around the white flag to try to amp up Andre Chase. Duke would take that white flag, well, white towel away from Thea Hale and then just like throw it into the ring because, again, Duke sees that Andre couldn't get out of that submission, so he would rather just throw in the towel. Now, once the towel gets thrown in, the referee sees it, he calls for the bell, Andre Chase is starting to say, I didn't tap out. I didn't tap out. So he's upset. But you can see after the match, in Charlie Dempsey's out of the ring. Duke Hudson helps Andre up. Andre's still feeling the effects from being tied up. But he's still looking at Duke and just looks at him with a look like, I did not tap out. I didn't want you to throw in the towel. But Duke is being oblivious to this. And he's just looking at Charlie Dempsey in anger as Charlie's at the entrance stage. So again, this is more building into something that we're going to get Andre Chase more than likely going against Duke Hudson somewhere down the line, but just not right now. Now, after this, we would get Hank Walker going against Channing Stax Lorenzo with Tony D'Angelo in his corner. Stax would win the match by pinfall when Stax would poke Hank in the eye and then drop a knee to the back of his head for the win. A solid match. After this, we had Grayson Waller effect with his guest Von Wagner with Mr. Stone and the NXT champion Braun Breaker. This is to build up for their match next week for the NXT championship. Grayson Waller is here to stir the pot and he will post tweets that question why Von Wagner was getting a championship opportunity instead of someone like Carmelo Hayes. And another tweet saying that the people can't wait for someone to beat Braun Breaker. Vaughn would say that he doesn't care about what the people think, while Braun, on the other hand, would say that he understands that the people are here in NXT and that they want to see what's coming next, but mentions that he learned from guys like Champa and Gargano that if you want something, you have to come and take it. So Vaughn would say that next week he's going to take the NXT championship off of Braun's shoulder. Braun would invite Vaughn Wagner to try to take it now. So then you see Vaughn and Braun get out of their chairs and get close up to each other. And again, this is just building more anticipation for the NXT Championship matchup next week. Me personally, I can't wait to see it because this is just basically going to be two big muscles of guys just hopefully just slamming each other and just striking one another. And that's all I want personally out of two big guys just because I know Braun can do the athletic stuff. He can do the moonsaults and all that stuff. Vaughn Wagner is more of a muscled up a uh, punchy kick slammy type guy so those two with as much power as both of men can lift i can't wait for that match just me personally because i wanted von Wagner to have a championship matchup for some time now because 
to me, honestly, Braun Breaker don't have so much other competitors. I think we're just waiting and waiting until around WrestleMania time for Carmelo Hayes to take the title off of Braun Breaker. But we'll have to see if that ever happens. But for Von Wagner to get a shot at Braun next week, I think it's going to be a good match. After this, we have J.D. McDonough going against Axiom. And the reason why we have this match is because earlier in the night, JD would walk up on a conversation that Nathan Frazier and Axiom were having. Axiom was looking after his friend Nathan Frazier because he's getting told that he's not going to be able to wrestle for the next couple of weeks. He got to take it easy. And JD is trying to diagnose Nathan Frazier. But again, Axiom isn't trying to have that. Frazier isn't trying to have that. And that's the reason why we have this match between JD and Axiom. JD would get the win thanks to referee stoppage when JD would be working on Axiom's right leg throughout the entire match. And what made the referee actually stop the match was when JD would bend Axiom's right leg and actually make it touch and hit the mat. And I mean, it bent it in a nasty direction. And that's what made the referee like call for the bell. Now, Axiom didn't want the match to stop, but he couldn't stand on it. So that's what the referee had to do. Look after the best for the in-ring competitors. Now, after the match, JD would get on the mic and say that he is begging for anyone in the back to get on his level. And he specifically calls out Apollo Crews. Again, they're building off of last week's uh, confrontation between uh, JD and Apollo when NXT was going off air. And it would be announced that next week it will be JD McDonough going against Apollo Crews. Now, after this, we will have our five-minute matchup between Brutus Creed and Damon Kemp. The referee will call for the bell with 2 minutes and 15 seconds left when Brutus would hit Damon in the back with a steel chair, and the ref would give the match to Damon Kemp. Now, after the bell, Brutus would hit Damon in the back again with the chair, and again, this is just for retribution and revenge because Damon Kemp was putting Brutus Creed through hell, and this is just Brutus' retribution. Now, off to the main event for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships is Caden Carter and Katana Chance, the champions going against the challengers, Zoe Starks and Nikita Lyons. Katana and Caden would retain their championships by pinfall by hitting their neckbreaker 450 splash combo onto Zoe Starks for the win. Now, there was a spot in the match towards the end where Zoe Starks almost hit Nikita, but it was by accident because she was trying to aim at Katana, but Katana would duck, leading to Zoe almost hitting Nikita, but Zoe would stop in her tracks, and then you would see both Nikita and Zoe talk to each other. Nikita's trying to calm Zoe down, saying it's fine. Nikita would push Zoe out of the way, and Nikita would eat a double super kick from Katana and Kaden. This would lead to Zoe trying to get the upper hand on both ladies, but in the end, that would fail. Now, after the match, Nikita and Zoe would get the tag team championships and hand them to the champions, except for Zoe would hold on to the championship as she was trying to give it to Kaden, and she would quickly hit Nikita in the head with the championship. Now, she would try to hit both Kaden and Katana with the championships, but both ladies would slide out of the ring, and Zoe would just walk over to Nikita and start shouting at her, saying that it's your fault, it's your fault, and then she would hit her with a running knee to the face. She would then throw the NXT tag title to Kaden outside of the ring, and Zoe would just walk over and just stand above Nikita's body. So Zoe Starks is now a bad guy, and this was, you could see this coming a mile away. To be honest with you, you know they were not winning this matchup, and you knew that Zoe was going to turn on Nikita because Zoe, for the past couple of weeks, has been building up anger and anger and anger, and Nikita's always been the person to try to calm her down, and usually it's a wrestling trope whenever somebody's constantly getting angry, that's the person that's usually going to snap on their partner or their mentor, whoever it is, to try to calm them down. So this was going to happen, and 
I don't think it caught anybody by shock. Now to see a bad guy, Zoe Starks on NXT, that's going to be interesting because I don't know much about Zoe Starks as a bad guy. So this is just basically going to be interesting for me to see how this works. But that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with an eight-man tag of the Gun Club teaming up with Swerve and Our Glory going against FTR in the acclaim, or as I would like to call this match, the challengers versus the champions, because FTR have the tag team titles of IWGP, AAA, and Ring of Honor, while the acclaim have the AEW tag team championships, and Swerve and Glory are the number one contenders for the AEW tag team titles, and the Gun Club are trying to go after the uh, any belts of FTR, at least that's what I'm thinking, or that's where they should be going, but nevertheless... Uh, Anthony Bowens will get the win for his team by pinfall when the Acclaim will hit their tag finish of a spinning side slam followed by the mic drop on Colton Gunn and FTR will hit the big rig on Austin Gunn for the win. This was a nice eight-man tag to open up the crowd. Uh, before the match would begin, you would see Billy Gunn run down to the ring and start beating up on Swerve, but they would get Billy Gunn out of the ring and back to the back and this will allow the eight-man tag to begin. At the beginning of the match, though, you would see some dissension between Keith Lee and Swerve. At points, Keith didn't want to tag in with Swerve because Swerve, again, is doing things that Keith Lee doesn't like. But Keith Lee knows that he has to deal with Swerve right now for the tag title, so he puts up with it. And Swerve knows he's pushing the buttons, but we're going to see how far that goes. But there was something interesting at the end of the match. At the end of the match, you would see FTR in the Acclaim win the match, and you would see FTR stand above the acclaim as the acclaim look up to FTR. So you can tell there's going to be some type of match between FTR and the acclaim somewhere down the line. That's probably coming after the acclaim gets done with Swerving Our Glory at full gear. At least that's my best guess if I were to put money on it. And that's what they should be going for next, but we shall see in due time. But again, this eight man tag was great. After this, they would play a video package from MJF because MJF was not at AEW Dynamite. He was around New York City trying to promote the Full Gear event, and they would play audio of him at a podcast, part of my take, and he basically talks about the importance of his Full Gear matchup against Jon Moxley. MJF says it's not just about the championship, it's about potentially who could lead the next generation of wrestlers. He talks about in wrestling, there's only a couple people that inspire and lead a wave of wrestlers in the generation. He starts naming off Bruno San Martino, Hulk Hogan, John Cena, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he wants to put his name up there because he feels that when he wins the AEW World Championship, he will be able to lead this next generation. He will actually be able to be on talk shows and bring wrestling back to the forefront where it belongs, unlike John Moxley, who technically won't be doing any of those things. He won't be doing broadcast television he won't be doing like daily show and all that type of stuff no he's just particularly wrestling mgf fits the market for everybody and everything he can do everything so that's what mgf wants to do when he wins the world title and i like that reason for why mgf wants to be the world champion he wants to bring back wrestling to prominence but again you got to remember mgf is the devil he is a bad guy you can't just get around that as fans we're trying to get around that mjf's good guy he's we love him but you got to remember he's a bad guy he's going to do some pretty dastardly things to win the title off of moxley but we'll have to see now after they get done playing mjf's video package they will play a video package from stokely hathaway and he talks about how he's disappointed in mjf for basically disregarding the firm and trying to just basically get a pat on the back from 
individuals. When Max and I were younger, I thought we wanted the same things. Money, cars, clothes. But someone forgot where they came from. They wanted to be liked. They wanted that good old-fashioned pat on the back. And I thought that when my best friend would possibly win his first world championship, I would be by his side. But instead, he's dick-riding John Moxley, and the worst crime you can commit is dick-riding without a license. So Max, I don't need you. I don't need my best friend. I can do this by myself. So win, lose, or draw at full gear, I'll see you in hell, Max. Now, after hearing that, there is one editor note that I do want to make. Dick riding without a license, you saw that a lot on wrestling Twitter. People just tweeting that out and just posting that a lot. So for the next coming months, that whole dick riding without a license, that clip, that audio is going to be played a lot on Twitter. So Stokely Hathaway, thank you for putting that into the wrestling universe. Thank you. Now, after that video, we'll play. We'll get our next matchup of the night. It is the first round for the World Championship Eliminator Qualifying Tournament. It is Ethan Page with Stokely Hathaway in his corner going against Eddie Kingston with Ortiz in his corner. Ethan Page would win the match by pinfall by hitting an avalanche Eagles edge on Kingston for the win. At one point in the matchup, Eddie Kingston did get the win, but the referee did not see it because when he had Ethan Page locked into the stretch plum is a submission uh, and Ethan Page will be tapping out. Stokely Hathaway was on the ring apron, distracting the referee when Ethan tapped out. Ortiz would scare Stokely and start running him up the back. That would allow Ethan Page to get out of the submission when Eddie would let go. Ethan would kick him two times in the head. Ethan and Eddie would still fight till they get to the corner. And that's whenever the Eagle Edge will happen. So Ethan Page advances in the tournament for the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, after this, we get the TNT Championship matchup. It's an open challenge. Warlow will come out with Samoa Joe going against Arya Davari, who has his butler with him. Warlow will win the match by dominating fashion by hitting four powerbombs in a row, the Powerbomb Symphony, and pin Arya Davari. Now, after the match, Warlow will get a mic call out Powerhouse Hobbs. Hobbs will come out and just stand on the stage saying that he's going to do this on his time. Warlow will say that he finally has a challenger that is worthy. And Warlow right now is so amped up at this point that he says that after he gets done taking care of Powerhouse Hobbs, he's going to take every championship in the company. Now, with Warlow saying this, Samoa Joe's behind him. He has the Ring of Honor Television Championship. Ring of Honor is now with AEW, so that means he's going to try to take every championship that means every ROH championship as well. Samoa Joe hits Warlow in the back with the Ring of Honor Television Championship and then locks in the Coquina Clutch and make Warlow tap out. Well, pass out. He doesn't tap. He just passes out. Warlow is now out. Samoa Joe is now just talking smack to Warlow's prone body. Powerhouse Hobbs is enjoying what he's seeing, but he tells Joe that he will kick his butt too. So it seems to me that we might get a three-man like triple threat at full gear for the TNT championship, maybe, but I can see why Samoa Joe did this, because Joe has took some disrespect from Warlow, I mean, Warlow shoved him, not in a disrespectful manner, but for Samoa Joe, again, the caliber of his legendary status, you shoving him, that's a sign of disrespect, whenever he just wanted to get at, whenever Warlow wanted to get at Powerhouse Hobbs on Rampage last week, and this one with the comment, I think Joe just kind of like snapped off and he was tired of it, so Joe took out Warlow. So again, triple threat match. I see coming at full gear. They do not announce that on Dynamite, but hopefully next week on Dynamite, they will announce it. 
After this, we would have Soraya and Britt Baker's face off in the ring. I bet you guys are really wondering what's happening with me now. Am I cleared? Am I not cleared? Am I going to wrestle? Am I not going to wrestle? I will let you know, though. A couple of weeks ago, I took MRIs. I did x-rays. I did CT scans. And um, unfortunately for Britt... Oh, boy. I'm 100% cleared! So now we all know that Soraya is not 100% cleared. That was always one of the big question marks whenever she signed AEW. So now that we have that answer, Soraya would throw out the challenge to Britt Baker to have a match at full gear, and it becomes official. Now, both of the ladies will have a jousting of words back and forth with each other before Soraya will leave the ring. But Britt Baker would try to get take a shot at Soraya, but Soraya would kick Britt in the stomach and then hit her with the cradle DDT, laying Britt Baker out. So, Soraya is in the ring. She's competing back again. It was a couple years that she wasn't allowed to by WWE doctors. They would not allow it. But now, since she's out of WWE in AEW, she's seat other medical professionals that have allowed her to do this. We're going to get Soraya's first match in some years at full gear. And hopefully, it's a good match. I think Soraya might have a little bit of ring rust. And I think the fans are going to give her some grace on that. But again... Congratulations for her. Congratulations for her to uh, get the clarification that she's able to get back in the ring and do what she loves to do. Now, after this, we have a one-on-one matchup between Trit Beretta, who has Chuck Taylor and Dan Housen in his corner, going against Jay Lethal, who has Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt in his corner. Jay Lethal would win the match by pinfall by hitting the lethal injection on Trent Beretta for the win. Now, after the match, Jay Lethal and company will be interviewed by Tony Schiavone on the stage. Sanjay Dutt will take the mic away from Tony and introduce Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett will come out, and Jeff would say that he is here because Sanjay Dutt gave him a call, and whenever friends call, you run, and that's what friends are for. And Jeff would say that he knew uh, Jay Lethal for a long time. As a matter of fact, Jeff was the first guy that gave Jay Lethal his first contract. He's has wins over legends like Ric Flair, Sting, and he forgot to mention Kurt Angle, so I'm going to say Kurt Angle. Uh, Sanjay Dutt has an IQ of 181, and he will tell Sandro Singh to come out and stand in front of the camera and have the camera pan down from the bottom to the top of uh, Satnam. And Jeff would say that Satnam Singh is a real-life 7'5 absolute monster, not a make-believe monster that wears red tight pants that the Banana Nose Circus has to create. And he's taking shots at WWE and Braun Strowman, for that matter. And again, Braun has been getting shot at a lot this past week because he said something stupid on Twitter. So that's the reason why Jeff Jarrett has to say something here. But in the end, it would be announced that Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal will be going against Darby Allen and Sting at full gear. Now, after this, we will get John Moxley coming out to the ring with Rian Regal. And Moxley's out here to basically talk about how long he's known Regal and say that whenever he first met Regal, he was a young, brash kid who talked a lot and who thought that he knew everything and he wanted to be just like Rian Regal. And he talks about how he and Regal had to basically fight each other. And Moxley had to gain some seasoning, meaning experience, to earn Regal's respect. And Moxley saying that MGF is basically the younger version of him. So at Full Gear, Moxley is letting MGF know that everything that MGF has dealt with beforehand has been the easy part. At Full Gear, the real work actually begins. So MGF is going to have a fight on his hands with Moxley at Full Gear for the AEW World Championship. Now, after this, we get another matchup between Jamie Hayter 
going against Sky Blue, who has Tony Storm in her corner, and Jamie Hayter will have Rebel and Britt Baker in her corner. Jamie would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Ripcord Lariat on Sky Blue for the win. After the match, Jamie would stomp on Sky until Tony would run into the ring and chase Jamie Hayter out of the ring again to build up Jamie Hayter more as she goes into her match with Tony Storm at full gear for the AEW Interim Women's Championship. Now it's time for the main event, the two out of three falls matchup between Brian Danielson going against Sammy Guevara, who has Ty Mello in his corner. Brian would win the first fall thanks to a DQ when Sammy Guevara would throw a chair at Brian's head and that would make the referee ring the bell and give that first fall to Brian. Sammy Guevara would get the second fall by hitting the GTH on Brian Danielson. Then Brian would get the last fall with a referee stoppage when Brian would lock in the LaBelle lock and Sammy would try to reach for the ropes and Brian would grab Sammy's free arm and tie it around his head and Sammy ultimately would pass out in the LaBelle lock. So Brian wins the match two to one. It was a solid main event. I think I like their first like one-on-one matchup better than this two out of three falls. But again, that's just me. Uh, I did not like the chair getting thrown into Brian Daniels' head because Brian has a history with his head. And whenever the chair popped off of Brian's head, I mean, you heard a nice wicked sound. And I don't think that that was like make-believe. I think that chair popped off on Brian's head. And I hope he got it checked out to make sure he's all good so that he still can wrestle at full gear. If not, let him take some time off and just let it be a triple threat match or have somebody take Brian's place if he's not medically cleared. But as it seems for now, as the time of this recording, Tony Khan has not placed any type of tweet saying that Brian Danielson needs to be looked at. So... No news is good news, so Brian still seems to be fine, but again, that's just my personal thing. I hope he does get checked out to make sure that he's good. But anyway, that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling will open up with a digital media championship matchup between Joe Hendry going against the champion, Brian Myers, who had Matt Cardona in his corner. Joe Hendry would win the digital media championship by pinfall when Brian was looking to hit the roster cut, which is a clothesline. But Joe Hendry would catch him and hit the standing ovation, which is a one-handed uh, spine buster for the win. So Joe Hendry is your new digital media champion. Solid match. You had a run-in from Heath and Rhino coming down to make sure Matt Cardona would not interfere towards the end of the matchup. And basically have Matt Cardona go to the back. So Joe Hendry was able to fend off Brian Myers by himself. So again, solid match and Joe Hendry is your new digital media champion. After this, we will have the semifinals of the X Division Championship Tournament. It is Trey Miguel going against Mike Bailey. And Trey Miguel would win the match by disqualification when Kenny King would come around ringside and just sit in a chair eating popcorn and just look at Trey and Mike Bailey wrestle. Trey and Mike would fight outside of the ring. Mike would knock Trey Miguel down to the floor. And then Mike Bailey would look at Kenny King. Kenny would throw popcorn at Mike Bailey. And then you see Mike Bailey get closer to Kenny King. The referee would tell Kenny to stop throwing popcorn which Kenny does. Mike Bailey would then get in the ring. Mike Bailey would see Kenny King go over to Trey Miguel, grab him, and throw him into the steel steps, as would the ref. So the referee would call for the bell, giving the win to Trey Miguel. So now Trey Miguel advances to the finals of the X Division Championship Tournament, and now he has to wait to see who he's going to be facing. Either it'll be Black Tarus or PJ Black. Those two men will have a match next week on Impact, and the winner of that will be facing Trey Miguel next Friday at Impact Wrestling's wrestling event, Overdrive. So, Trey Miguel just has to wait to see who he's going to be facing. 
After this, we have Bupinder Gujir going against a guy named G Sharp. Bupinder would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Gargoyle Spear for the win. And also, Gujir has a new entrance theme, so it seems to be that his old entrance theme is going to be used in NXT by Veer and Sangha, because when Veer and Sangha did beat down the Diamond Mind, uh, I believe two weeks ago, they walked away to that theme song. So we might be seeing that in NXT sometime soon, or at least the hearing of uh, Bupinder's uh, old song onto now Veer and Sangha. Anyway, just had to make note of that. After this match, we have Chelsea Green with Deanna Perrazzo in her corner going against Mickey James. Remember, if Mickey James does lose, she's gone. She retires. Mickey James would not be retiring because she would defeat Chelsea Green when Chelsea would be jumping off the top turnbuckle looking to hit a dropkick. But Mickey would catch Chelsea Green's feet and turn it into a jackknife pin for the win. So Mickey James is now still going to be around in Impact Wrestling. However, later in the night, we would see Chelsea Green leave the arena. And Deanna Peraza would chase after Chelsea to see how Chelsea's feeling, what she's going on with her. Chelsea says that she was supposed to beat Mickey tonight and send her packing, but that doesn't happen. Chelsea will say that she's going home. Deanna Peraza says, no, it's fine. There's only one match. Chelsea would still harp that she was supposed to be the one to defeat Mickey James. So Chelsea would tell Deanna that she is just going to go home. So maybe we might be seeing Chelsea go home to try to recoup and gather her mind just the same way that Mickey James did months ago when Chelsea beat Mickey James. We might be seeing that, might not, who's to say? We just have to see as impact goes on for the next couple weeks. Uh, after this, we had Bully Ray going against Zicky Dice, who had Johnny Swinger in his corner. Bully Ray will win the match by pinfall at the beginning of the match. Zicky and Swinger would make fun of Bully Ray by doing the whole Dudley Boy stick of hitting one another and saying, get the tables. They would get a table, set it up in the ring. Zicky would try to swing at Bully. Bully would duck it and then hit the Bully Bomb for the win. After the match, Moose would run into the ring, Lobo Bully, grab the table, put it up in the corner, and spear Bully Ray right through it. So this will lead up to Bully Ray making an announcement that at Overdrive is going to be Bully Ray going against Moose in the tables match that gets confirmed. So that match gets added on to uh, Overdrive. Now, for the main event of Impact, we have a Knockouts Championship matchup between Giselle Shaw going against Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace would retain her championship by pinfall when Jordan would reverse out of a jackknife pin and turn it into a powerbomb then finish off Giselle with a Grace driver for the win. Now, I'm going to say this again constantly. Impact Wrestling in the Knockouts division, they kept on getting slept on. I'm not certain what a lot of people know about the Impact Wrestling roster just in general, but... Specifically, the Knockouts division, they have some of the best women wrestlers out there. And again, I'm stating this right now. Either WWE or AEW, the two big wrestling companies in the world, need to team up with AEW and start incorporating some of their women down in Impact so they can learn how to wrestle down there better or incorporate some of the Impact women over into their products so people can see exactly what women wrestling is supposed to look like because I'm not trying to knock... WWE or AEW like this, but I'm going to say this. Impact Wrestling, when you put the roster against the WWE NXT division or the AEW Women's Division or even certain times, WWE's main roster division, Impact's going to sweep some of those ladies. I'm just going to be blown with you. Jordan Grace is good. Deanna Perrazzo is great. Mickey James is great. Uh, Taylor Wilde is great. Havoc is great. Ty Valkyrie is great. Rosemary is great. 
Tasha Steeles is great. I mean, Impact Wrestling has women like just knocking it out of the park in a way that WWE nor AEW has it in their vicinity to do it. I'm just going to be blunt with it, and I stand on that uh, two folds. And this match proves it right here. Giselle Shaw and Jordan Grace, they really gave it all, and they actually had people interested in the match with Jordan Grace doing all her power moves against Giselle, and Giselle just taking it. Giselle doing with her quickness and still able to not match up with Jordan Grace in power, but able to use her skill to maneuver around Jordan Grace's power and get around certain situations. This was a great match between both of these ladies, and I'm going to say right now, again, Impact Wrestling Knockouts Division, they carry a lot. Impact Wrestling as a whole, this promotion carries a lot of things that a lot of companies, they're lacking in certain like places. And again, for me, Impact Wrestling's Knockout Division, they carry and they are way better than WWE's Women's Division and also AEW's Women's Division. So I want either WWE or AEW, or if somehow both promotions somehow come together, go to Impact and just start incorporating some of their ladies. Because again, I think that if you bring some of their ladies from one division or one promotion to Impact, you get to see them in a different vicinity. You get to see them in a different light. And you also get to have them be experienced. Well, get the experience with more seasoned wrestlers down there in Impact that are just hungry and just trying to grab at the spotlight for things so that's just my personal preference i believe if you do watch this match between jordan grace and uh giselle shaw you'll be entertained now after the match jordan grace would walk up the ramp posing with her championship on the stage masha slamovich would hit jordan grace from behind with a steel chair this is masha slamovich's first time being on impact wrestling since she lost to jordan grace at bound for glory a month ago so you can tell that masha is still not over that Masha would get more steel chairs, put them in one pile, grab Jordan, hit her with a snowplow on the chairs, and then Masha would pick up the knockout championship, place her foot on Jordan Grace, lift up the championship, pose with it, and then lick the belt. So Masha is still going after the knockout championship. It was not announced that Masha and Jordan will be going against each other at overdrive. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're saving that match for a bigger a situation, a bigger event than just overdrive, at least in my opinion. At least that's what I would do. But again, I'm not creative. I'm not over there in Impact working there. So again, this is just me throwing out free thoughts for them to use. Anyway, that is Impact Wrestling's Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a unified tag team championship matchup between the New Day and the Usos. This was to see who was going to be the longest reigning tag team champions in WWE history. And the Usos would retain and win the match by pinfall when they would catch Kofi in midair and hit the 1D on Kofi for the win. This was a solid tag team match. I was campaigning for a good solid two weeks for this match to be straight up just team versus team with no interference. I got that here. The only thing I missed that WWE did not capitalize on that I wanted was Big E to be here for whenever the New Day would pass the torch over to the Usos because I believe having Big E would have been here would have been a bigger, more historic moment because you would have had all the New Day, all three members of the New Day, the three members that actually made history together when they defeated Demolition's uh, championship reign, not reign, but that long-standing record that they had for so many years, and those three men did it 
altogether, I believe that the New Day, just not Kofi and Xavier, but the actual whole three-man New Day with Big E should have been there just for the Usos to actually surpass the New Day's record. Let's not get it twisted. The Usos are a great tag team. They are one of the best tag teams in any professional wrestling company, whether it's WWE, uh, New Japan, um, Impact, AEW. They are one of the best tag teams out there. I believe that WWE did what was best for business for the way they're trying to tell the story with the Bloodline and the Usos. Yes, sure. They gave the Bloodline more history so they could submit the Bloodline as one of the greatest factions in WWE history. Great. But for me personally, I think that the New Day's record as tag team champions should never have been uh, crushed. But I'll get more into that when I talk about the New Day's legacy after I talk about AEW Rampage. But again, the New Day uh, record has been crushed. The Usos are now going to be your longest reigning tag team champions in WWE history. Now, after the match would get done, the Usos would go to the back and walk up to Roman Reigns, who's in his locker room with Solo and Paul Heyman. The Usos are happy, and they're looking for confirmation from Roman that he's happy with what they've done out in the ring. Roman would give them that approval that they're looking for, and Roman would say that this is what it's like to be on top of the mountain. This is what it's like to be the men to hold down the industry. Roman would let them also know that tonight he has some business to handle in the ring and that he wants them to be by his side when he does it. And the Uso says, yeah, sure. So we're going to hear what Roman has to say later on the night. Now, after this piece of business will get done, we'll go back to the ring for our first round match in the World Cup tournament between Shinsuke Nakamura going against Santos Escobar, who had Legado de Fantasma in his corner. Santos would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Phantom Driver off the second turnbuckle for the win. So now Santos moves into the semifinals of the tournament. Now the remaining competitors in the tournament are Jinder Mahal going against Braun Strowman. That match will happen later. Mustafa Ali going against Ricochet. That will happen next week. As well as Sami Zayn going against Butch. That match as well will happen next week. Now, after this, we go backstage to LA Knight having a backstage interview. LA Knight's upset that he's not in the World Cup tournament. And as he's talking, the screen behind him would flicker with cryptic Bray Wyatt images. At first, LA Knight does not notice it, but the interviewer does. And the images flashes about a good three times. The second time LA Knight notices it, he looks at the producers and tell them, hey, yo, cut the screen off because he doesn't want to see this type of crap. He doesn't want to even deal with this. And then as soon as he turns around, Bray Wyatt's right in his face. Bray would introduce himself and ask LA Knight how far is he willing to go to make it at the top because Bray mentions that he has done things in his past that he pretended he wasn't proud of, but really he is. LA Knight would tell Bray that Bray can go back to his corner in his room and play with his puppets and stick them wherever he pleases because he never asked for Bray's help. He never asked for Bray's influence. So then you would see Bray Wyatt headbutt LA Knight and then Bray would just leave. So this is now going to be a thing between LA Knight and Bray Wyatt. And I don't think nobody had it on their bingo card that Bray Wyatt's first like program back on WWE television is going to be against LA Knight. And I don't think anybody thought LA Knight's first programming literally in a long-term story is going to go be like against Bray Wyatt. But I think everybody's cool with it because both of them are masters on the mic. They both have killer mic skills. They can talk people into 
at least a match and make them believe it. So I believe that these two are going to make something out of their one-on-one match when the time comes, and I'm here for it. After this, we have our six-pack challenge, where the winner will face Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series. It will be Liv Morgan going against Raquel Rodriguez, going against Zia Lee, going against Sonya Deville, going against Shotzi Blackheart, going against Lacey Evans. Shotzi would win the match by pinfall by hitting Lacey with a never wake up. That's a DDT for the win. So Shotzi would now be facing Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series. Later, we would see Shotzi in the backstage area and Shotzi would be confronted by Shayna Baszler. Shayna will let Shotzi know that she's going to feel a lot of pain when Ronda Rousey gets through with her. Shotzi will let Shayna know that Ronda can dish out all the pain that she wants, but she will endure it. And she might surprise Ronda and she might surprise everyone when she beats Ronda and become this Mad Dad Women's Champion. Shotzi would say that if Ronda was here, she would say it to her face. Shayna would tell Shotzi to turn around so she could say it to Ronda's face. And once she does, she sees Ronda standing there. Shayna would lock in a sleeper hold on Shotzi and Ronda would watch as Shotzi passes out. And it will be announced later that next week, Shotzi Blackheart will go against Shayna Baszler next week on SmackDown. Now, after this happens, we go back to the ring and we have another first-round matchup in the World Cup tournament. Jinder Mahal going against Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman would beat Jinder Mahal by pinfall by hitting a powerbomb for the win. So now Braun now moves into the semifinals of the tournament. Now, we were supposed to have a one-on-one matchup between B-Fab going against Selena Vega, but that match does not happen because as Hit Row were making their way to the ring, Viking Raiders and Sarah Logan will make their uh, surprise return to WWE. Well, Sarah Logan surprise return to WWE, but the Logan Raiders uh, return back because one of the Logan Raiders got injured. And they destroy Hit Row and they destroy Legado del Fantasma, except for Santos Escobar because Santos was not around. And Selena would leave through the crowd so she would not get touched. So Hit Row, all three members, Ashanti Diodonis, Top Dollar, and B-Fab will get destroyed. and uh, Joaquin Wilde and Toro Cruz of Legado del Fantasma will get destroyed by the Viking Raiders and Sarah Logan. And this three-person group is now called Valhalla. So this goes along with the Viking theme here. I'm glad to see the Viking Raiders back because they were looking like they're going to have some momentum after they got done going against the New Day a couple months ago. But again, as I said, one of the members got injured, so they had to be put on the shelf. So now it looks like we're starting them back up again. And I'm happy to see it here. Now, after this, we go into our main event segment. Roman Reigns with the bloodline coming out to the ring, except they do not have Sami Zayn here. Sami Zayn is not with them. So the fans would chant for Sami, but they would just bypass all that. Roman talks about how hard it is for his cousins to be his cousins because everyone acknowledges Roman Reigns. But now they can acknowledge the Usos for being the longest reigning tag team champions. And before Roman can have the fans actually acknowledge the Usos, the Brawling Brutes will interrupt. You have Butch and Ridge out here. Butch will say they are tired of the Bloodline's number games, so they brought up backup. And Sheamus will come out. Sheamus is now back. He's back from his uh, injury, quote-unquote, in storyline. But in real life, he got married to his wife. So that's the reason why he had to take time off. But Sheamus is back here. Sheamus would try to talk on the mic, but his mic will only work half of the way. Roman Reigns will laugh at that and say that, yo, you can't do nothing to us if you can't even get your mic to work. So the Brawling Brutes would run in the ring, do battle with the Bloodline. It'll be a numbers game advantage for the Bloodline because you got four on three. 
until Drew McIntyre will come down to the ring and help out the Brawling Brutes. So SmackDown will end with nothing but a 404 beatdown. Well, a brawl between the Brawling Brutes and Drew McIntyre going against the Bloodline. So you know where this is setting up for. We're more than likely going to get this as a war games as the whole Bloodline of Roman, the Usos, Solo Sokoa, and Sami Zayn going against the Brawling Brutes and Drew McIntyre with a mystery partner on their end. People probably think it's going to be Kevin Owens. I personally think that because his ties with Sami Zayn and they've been having that little underlining storyline for this whole entire time that Sami's been trying to kick it with the bloodline. So I can see Kevin Owens coming back and being the surprise mystery of like team partner for the Brutes, Andrew McIntyre. That match does not get announced, but you know that's where they're headed to because they only got two more weeks to like build up for Survivor Series. But with that all being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to AEW Rampage. We will open up with Christian Cage with Luchasaurus coming down to the ring. Again, Christian is still injured here, so his arm is in a sling. Christian will call out Jungle Boy to come down to the ring to hear what Jungle Boy has to say to him. Jungle Boy will come out. Christian will say that he and Luchasaurus were through with Jack Perry, Jungle Boy, after beating him at All Out and Luchasaurus beating him a couple weeks ago. Jungle Boy will say that since every time they always have a match, they always stack the odds against Jungle Boy. They always find a way to cheat or find a maneuver to beat him. So Jungle Boy decides to take that power away from them. And he challenges Luchasaurus to a match at full gear inside of a steel cage. So it will be just those two and only those two. Christian Cage cannot like maneuver around to help out Luchasaurus. Christian will say that Jungle Boy might not be as great as he thinks he is because he has to go to these links. But Christian would accept the challenge and tell Jungle Boy that he wants Jungle Boy to bring his mother around so she could see her boy lose. And Christian would mention Jungle Boy's father, Luke Perry, and Jungle Boy would grab Christian by the throat. Luchasaurus would headbutt Jungle Boy. Christian would get a chair and then you'll see Jungle Boy get chokeslam through the chair by Luchasaurus. So this is setting up and it establishes that Luchasaurus will go against Jungle Boy at full gear in a steel cage. Now, after this, we get to our first round match in the World Championship Eliminator Tournament between Dante Martin and Brian Cage, who has Prince Nana in his corner. Brian Cage would win the match by pinfall by hitting Weapon X, which is a gory bomb that transitions into a flatliner for the win. So Brian now advances to the second round of the tournament. After this, we would get another first round matchup in the World Championship Eliminator Tournament. It is Roosh with Jose in his corner going against Bandito. This is Bandito's first match for AEW as an AEW contracted wrestler because AEW did sign Bandito to a contract. Uh, Bandito would win the match by pinfall thanks to John Silver coming out because when the referee was distracted by Roosh having a chair in his hand, Jose would grab Bandito by his mask and try to rip it off of his face. John Silver would run down to the ring, clothesline Jose. Roosh would be distracted looking at John Silver, allowing Bandito to run over and roll up Roosh for the win. So Bandito now moves into the second round where he'll be facing Ethan Page on the next episode of Dynamite. Now, after this, we have Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero and Marina Shafir in her corner. Going against Kayla Sparks, this was a quick match. Nyla would win the match by pinfall by hitting Jaded for the win. This whole match, well, this whole, what, three-minute matchup, Nyla was mocking Jade by hitting Jade's pump kick on Kayla Sparks and finishing her off with the jaded and even doing the whole like licking of the fingers 
taunting the way that Jade would do it every time she always beats her opponents by hitting Jade. So this whole thing was nothing but a mockery here. After the match, Jade and the baddies would come down to the ring. Nyla would beat up on the baddies as soon as they entered the ring. But as soon as Jade entered the ring, Jade and Nyla would throw a couple of hands. But Jade would hit Nyla with a pump kick. Nyla would slide out of the ring. And the dumbest thing to me in this little thing right here was that as soon as Nyla got slid out of the ring, Jade would be in the ring and just start yelling at Nyla that she wants her belt back. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, yo, you can easily get your belt right now. You can go to Marina and just yank that belt off of her. But again, we're still building up for full gear. Uh, Jade going against Nyla Rose for the actual TBS uh, championship that Nyla stole from Jade. So I get why he didn't go the route of Jade just like yanking the belt off of her. But again, it was so stupid that she yelled that she wants her belt back instead of literally trying to grab the belt off of Marina Shafir. But I digress. Now it's time for the main event. Uh, the All Atlantic Championship matchup of Orange Cassidy with the best friends in his corner going against Lee Johnson, who had the factory in his corner. Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall by hitting Beach Break on Lee Johnson for the win. After the match, Cole Carter would get in the ring and try to attack Orange Cassidy, but Orange Cassidy would duck it, hit Cole with the orange punch, which lays out Cole Carter. The best friends would get in the ring and they would give the people what they want, which is hug Orange Cassidy. QT Marshall would try to sneak into the ring, but he saw that he's outnumbered and slide out of the ring. So AEW Rampage ends with the best friends and Orange Cassidy as the victors here. And Orange Cassidy still your All-Atlantic champion. So that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I want to talk about the New Day. I said it on the SmackDown uh, recap here that I was going to talk about the legacy of the New Day. And the legacy of the New Day needs to be studied, I promise you. The legacy of the New Day needs to be studied by any wrestling fan to let people know that you could turn crap into gold if you are that guy. Or in this case, or if you are these three men, if you are people that the fans actually truly care about. Because when the New Day came about, they came about as three guys who were supposed to be black preachers. If you look back at the vignettes of late, what, 2014, they would be having a choir behind them, saying nothing but positivity. And it was like preachy, preachy, churchy type of gimmicky that you could see like, okay, where WWE's going with this. And this wasn't the original concept where everybody thought the New Day was going to go because the New Day did come around early, what, 2014 when Xavier Woods coming out in nothing but a straight white suit. And he talked very militant towards Kofi and Big E. And you saw through all like three of them come together and you saw them got swiped off TV for a good couple months. I mean, months would go past. You did not see Big E or Kofi on your television screen, and then towards the end of the year, 2014, you see them back on your television, and they're doing the whole preacher thing, the whole vignettes for it. Everybody as fans, we all were like, oh, we were disappointed, but we were like, oh, okay, fine. We get Kofi, Biggie, and Xavier on our television screen. We get to see what they do with this. And years later, you see the transformation from the preachers to guys that the fans hated because the fans wanted WWE to turn them as bad guys. And then when they got turned as bad guys, we all loved it because we got to see all three men literally 
interact as a legit three-man unit as real-life people. They got they dropped the whole preachy, gimmicky type stuff, and they were just themselves. Three guys who loved nerd culture, who were able to add in internet culture into the WWE as well. I mean, the New Day has been through just iterations. They're, they're guys that were able to make things happen. And I said it last year whenever Big E won the WWE Championship. I mean, I made it a part of one of the episodes at the end of it when I said the New Day was the greatest faction, well, the greatest three-man unit, whatever you want to call it, in WWE history. And I still stand that to this day. I mean what I said. The New Day are the greatest three-man unit in WWE history. And people might say, no, the Shield are. No, the New Day are. Because the New Day took something that wasn't supposed to work, and they made it work. The Shield were given something off top, and they were Triple H's babies. It has been documented. You can look into it. It's not me trying to crap on the legacy of Roman Reigns, The Shield, uh, Dean Ambrose, The Shield, Seth Rollins, Shield, their legacy as them, those three guys coming in as the Shield members and what they have done ever since then. It's not me crapping on the legacy of them. No, 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 no. I love The Shield. As a matter of fact, we're coming up on 10 years since The Shield actually debuted in WWE, and I'm going to talk about that whenever Survivor Series, my recap of Survivor Series, because that is an important thing that I think people need to also look into to see how grizzled each member of The Shield are now. When you look at The Shield's facial features, you can see how young they were then, 10 years ago, to them now. You can see the old, like, the elderness drenched all over their faces. So that's all I'm trying to say for the Shield. I love the Shield, but when you look at the Shield's resume to the New Day's resume, and you look at everything, and I mean everything, I mean look at the backstage, who was repping for them, look who was actually praising them and cheering for their success. The New Day didn't have as much people praying for their success as much as you think they would with the merchandise success that they ultimately ended up achieving on their own. They have documented this on their New Day podcast. If you're there, if it's still up on Apple or anywhere you can find podcasts, it was on their New Day uh, podcast. They talked about how people in the back did not believe in them. You had writers that didn't like believe in them. You had certain wrestlers that did not believe in them. But they had a particular writer that would constantly try to go into WWE office and say, yo, we need to do something with all three of these guys and everything to the point that Xavier had to go up to Vince, who was running the show at the time. And Xavier put his whole career on the line saying, yo, I can get people to boo Kofi because Vince thought that Kofi could not be booed. And Xavier said, no, I can get people to boo Kofi. Just give me four weeks and I can make it happen. And then if I don't, you could fire me because somebody else needs this spot if I can't do this. And as you can see, Xavier is still on the WWE roster because he was actually able to make it work. The New Day were actually able to make things work. They were able to get things done. And for that, they were given opportunities. And they were able to make opportunities work for them. They were handed a trombone. Who's going to make a trombone work in wrestling? The New Day. They were handed flinging pancakes out to people. Who was able to make that work? The New Day. They had a cereal box called Bootios, and they made people actually want to have WWE produce a cereal called Bootios that people actually bought. Nobody else could actually make that kind of stuff happen except for who? The New Day. I don't care who you are. The New Day 
were actually able to make things work. So with all that stuff happening, you could see why they were given the opportunity to become the longest reigning tag team champions whenever they cracked the record, what, in 2016? Because they won the belts in 2015 at SummerSlam. They held it all the way until the end, technically until the end of 2016 when they lost it to the bar at Roadblock. But again, they held on to those titles for 483 days. That's a long time. That record was like, I was happy when they broke Demolition's record. And the Raw that they did that to actually beat Demolition's record, they had two, yes, two triple threat tag team matches, if I'm not mistaken. Because the first match they had, they went against The Bar, and they went against uh, Gallows and Anderson, yes. And then the second match, later in that night, they went against Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho, and they went against Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. They beat multiple world champions, and they beat multiple tag team champions in one night to solidify themselves as the greatest tag team champions in WWE history. And now for, what, years later, the Usos to beat them for the tag titles, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that for me as a fan to see the progression for what the New Day started as to what they have become, to become this larger-than-life entity, and for their record to be shattered, I don't, for me as a fan, I'm like, eh, you could have just let the New Day keep that. But I get it. Again, you're cementing the bloodline as the greatest faction. But, yeah, whatever. I like the bloodline, but the New Day should have kept that record. For me as a fan. For me as a person that's listened to the New Day's story about how hard it was for them to get things moving and running. It was hard. And then just to see the progression from Kofi doing all the stuff that he was doing before then, and then he gets to the New Day, and then he has Kofi Mania, Big E, him coming in as a bodyguard, him full flailing in the mid-card area for some years, and then he hooks up with the New Day, and then you see them start rocket shooting up, and then he becomes WWE champion. Xavier Woods, another case of being brought up from NXT, tagging with R-Truth, and he's made it known that every time he goes up into another company, he always tags with R-Truth, that's always like the go-to thing, and he makes that a joke now. He tags with R-Truth. He flails in the middle roster, not doing nothing. He disappears, comes back. They do the whole New Day thing. He makes his YouTube channel up, up, down, down. He is living literally the dream that every superstar wants to do. He has his dream of working for the company that he wants, but he's also able to venture out and do things on his own. He's done uh, Charity Wheel of Fortune because that just happened on ABC, and he actually was like the big winner. I think he won like nine nope 60 some odd thousand dollars or 90 some odd thousand dollars for uh his charity i saw that it was a good episode he was dominating but he was able to do that he's like hosted shows i mean xavier woods is out here doing things if we're not careful that man can literally go to hollywood and do something if he wants to that's only if he wants to but xavier woods he was another guy that again was flailing left, come back, do New Day stuff, and he got to be King of the Ring, which only lasted for (laughs) a month, and then that was stripped away from him, and I mean, the New Day have fought through things, and it's just crazy to me that the one thing 
the one thing that was literally submitted for them, the longest reign tag team championship run, has now been handed over to their greatest rivals, the Usos. It's crazy. I don't think that record should have been broken. I think that the New Day should have held on to that. But again, I'm not a creative uh, writer in WWE. I'm just a fan watching it. But I at least can say this. They did have a good match. And hopefully next time they have a better match between both teams and let that rivalry just continue to keep going. But again, this is not me crapping on the Shield. This isn't me crapping on the Bloodline. This is not me crapping on the Usos. This is just me giving praise to the New Day because the New Day earn that praise the new day have earned everything that they've gotten in the wwe that legacy that they have for themselves they've earned that because they worked their asses off for that so that's just me right now giving them praise for everything that they have done just want to make that perfectly clear i have love for every professional wrestler out there in the world that's doing their thing because professional wrestling is a art form if you take it seriously and even if you don't you have to take it some bit seriously because if you don't you're able to injure yourself or injure someone else. So I just want to make that perfectly clear. This is just me as a fan just talking. Now, with that being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys are careful and just look after each other because you don't know what somebody's dealing with. Please don't be a dick. I do love you all. If you guys want to chat with me, my email is down in the uh, description of the episode. Same thing with my Twitter and my Instagram. And also... If you are thinking about committing suicide, please call the National Suicide Hotline number. I have that in the episode description as well. Because as I said before, and I'll say it constantly, you don't know who is wanting to see your face. You don't know whose uh, room or life you are brightening whenever they see your face. Because again, certain people are struggling with things. And just by talking to you, you bring in that light that they need just for them to continue on. So please, if you feel that you are suicidal, please call the National Suicide Hotline and just take care of it that way please and thank you now with that being said again have a great saturday i hope you guys tune into my sunday episode tomorrow that's my 100th episode i would be greatly appreciated but if not that's understandable too so with that this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him i love you all this isn't goodbye this is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again and with that all being said kanye could you please take these people home I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.